Before I sit down, uh, we are going to uh, just say the Apostles' Creed together. So uh, Ryan's going to throw that up there. You can stand, yeah, wow. Join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Yes. Congratulations, all you theologians. You just made what? Can dress them up. Well, the reason I wore this in today was on purpose. And the being, reason being that uh, you just made an affirmation of theology. All of us believe some form of theology, and that's what I want to talk about today. So I, I did this for spectacular effect only. And obviously it wasn't all that spectacular. But I have to tell you a story, and I'm, I'm really loud here. I have to tell you a story from... Uh, past preaching experience, when I got in the pulpit one day, I said, okay, class, open your Bibles to such and such a date, uh, such and such a page. And the person who was sitting in the congregation suddenly had a light turn on and said, they are serious about this. <laughs> Having come from some church background, started to process and soon became a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because I had never registered that what she was hearing about in church actually mattered. So I want to encourage us this morning to perhaps be practical a little bit about this subject called theology. But I am going to confess something. It is too hot in this thing. <laughs> so I am going to remove it. I almost wore the same thing. Yes, I'm sure you did. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing. What's that? Are you having flashbacks? Yeah, this is, uh, it's fun. I don't get to use this very often, so I thought before I croak, I ought to at least try it a couple of times. There we go. What's that? Too expensive not to wear at least three times in your life, so here we go. And I'm also going to open my upper collar, if you don't mind. It's too warm. Why? Preachers are supposed to wear collars. If I could only get it open, it'd be awesome. I can't. Literally, I can't. I'm choking to death. So, there we go. Thank you, Lord. That was scary. It's kind of a feeling like you're trapped in a burning building or something. Okay. I would like you to take your Bibles if you have one. If you don't, the way our lesson is going to go today is that we are going to look at the first few chapters of the book of Hebrews. Some of you have been around a while. If you're visiting, you don't know. We started before the holiday a series on a book that's not often unpacked in churches. And I confess that it's the first time I'm unpacking it, and that is the book of Hebrews. But it is full of great stuff. In fact, I couldn't help but think of a great movie reference. Of course. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. When they're sitting in history class and say to the teacher, because of your class, we've discovered that the world is full of history. Isn't that brilliant? And I hate to fill you in, the Bible is full of theology. 
of teaching. And in these first five books, we've hardly made any reference. We were trying to unpack these passages, but I'm going to reference for you as we work our way along some of the theological points. And I want to have two goals today. Let me say what provoked this. The book of Hebrews, as best as we know, we don't totally know the author or the recipients. I do. But as best as we know, in other words, I'm reasonably sure, that they are Roman Jews, probably synagogue leaders, maybe rabbinical students like that. The gospel had already penetrated the Roman Empire, had already gotten to Rome, but these men and women had missed what had happened and become Christians later. And persecution had broken out since on the Christian church, and they're recognizing we're identifying with this new sect called the Way that was birthed out of Jewish roots, and it may cost us if we do that. And that's why the entire book is exhorting these brothers and sisters not to back down from following Jesus, their Messiah. And it's heavily, heavily weighted with Hebrew imagery and Hebrew doctrine, things from the past that every respectable Bible-studying Jew would have recognized. So that's the roots. So I thought about it. Hebrews is really like a seminary class. And today I thought, I'm just going to let you all off the hook. This is for our current theological students, Pastor Tim, uh, Brother, uh, where, where did he go? Ben, Dave Clower, who got a hall pass today. He's not in, but he's, his wife's taking notes for him. But we also have some other uh, pretty serious students in the place. I, might, I don't know if you know it, but our worship leader, Mike Hopper, he's kind of a serious Bible student. You know that? Did you know that? I'm not bragging on you, you owe me, pay me later, okay, so, but, but he is, and there's others in the room that want to weigh in, so my point, the reason I'm saying that is this is for their benefit, and I'm letting all of you sit in the class for free, isn't that cool? Yeah, you're thrilled, I can tell, okay. So, welcome to class, and I've told you the context of Hebrews, and what you just recited a moment ago was fully a theological affirmation. In other words, you don't, that's not Bible verses. You recognize that, right? They're not verses in the Bible. The Apostles' Creed. Everybody with it? Yes. Who freaked out because it says, I believe in the Catholic Church? Get over it. Okay. <laughs> you all understand? It doesn't say the Roman Catholic Church. It says the Catholic Church. And the, Catholic, the word Catholic means universal. I do believe in the Catholic Church. The universal church the people of God of all times and all places. Everybody with me so far? The fun thing about class is you get to ask Q&A, but not yet. So let me show you a picture if I could. This is uh, up in our old neighborhood, 1900, this picture is taken. A gentleman, this will be interesting to you, Reverend uh, Bozick. For those of you who didn't know, he is one. Practical Bible Training School, Johnson City, New York, where my son lives, actually, just a few blocks away, emerged in 1900 from a series of Bible classes that were conducted in downtown Johnson City, used to be called Leicester or something like that. I can't even pronounce it right. Nobody cares. By a young evangelist. John A. Davis, for those of you who have been acquainted with it more recently, it would have been Davis Bible College and then changed to Davis College, named after the founder, because that's the new way people want to go these days with colleges. They, John Davis attended Chicago Bible Institute, a.k.a. Moody Bible Institute. And get, this was a fun thing I didn't know until I did my research for today. He served tables in the lunchroom to D.L. Moody. For those of you who don't know who D.L. Moody is, 1800s, late 1800s, phenomenal evangelist who led thousands of people to faith in Christ, which is what we should be about. And that school was founded, and it was called Practical Bible Training Institute. And guess what their goal was? To give practical Bible training. Yes way, Ted. Speaking of great movies. Uh, practical Bible training. Training in the word that can be put to use. 
that can be leveraged for the kingdom. So I thought about this and was kind of nervous about this morning. I thought, well, people are going to write me emails. Why were you showing off? You just want to show everybody your doctoral. No, I wanted to make sure that um, Sergeant Whittle knows that I have three stripes, too, on my roll. <laughs> just so. No, that the reason was I would hope that it would get your attention, and obviously it did. Whether you think highly of me or lower, it doesn't matter. Please lean into the truth of the word today. The usual dichotomy is realism versus idealism, right? People who are pessimistic don't have any of those in this room, I'm sure, who are like, no, I'm not pessimistic, I'm just a realist. And then there are idealists. They're like, you know, they're like this a lot. No, never mind. And, and we say, well, the idealist is a dreamer. Really in the middle is truth, right? There are, you have to be real, you have to be practical, but you also have to believe in something beyond yourself, and everybody does whether they are willing to admit it or not. I want to read some comments by the gentleman who wrote this theology text, Millard Erickson. And by the way, just so you know that theology is practical, I'm looking at his picture in the back here, and he's a happy person. <laughs> he's happy. He's actually smiling. Can you imagine a theologian actually smiling and happy and actually talks kind of like me, like the Christian life should be enjoyed, that it is a good thing to know the Lord? Anyway, my lesson, it's going to take a while to get through this today, right? It's a long book. No, I'm not going to read from that. But I wanted to read one comment that he made. And this may resonate with some of us. In fact, I, I'm fearful that it might resonate with us more than I care to know. Is there really a need for theology? Quote, if I love Jesus, is that not sufficient? I'm just letting it hang there for a while. I'm hearing a lot of nervous fidgeting out there. Is that not enough? Now, listen. If I love Jesus, first of all, you better make sure you're loving the true Jesus, the one that's revealed in the scripture, which may mean you need to understand some theology. But yes, if I know Jesus, that is sufficient. I will make it into heaven. Uh, I can be part of the body of Christ. I can do all of that. Indeed, theology seems at times to have certain disadvantages. Think of how many different churches confuse one another, and people are like, what, how come they believe that? Anybody ever been up against some of that? Of course you have. We all have, somewhere along the line. But his defense goes like this, three points. Theology is important because correct doctrinal beliefs are essential to the relationship between the believer and God. Let's start with that. I used to live in uh, Tucson, and out my back window, I could see a Catholic mission that was planted years and years earlier, back in the 1500s, I think, maybe 16, the Santa Vera Mission. And there is a hillside there next to the mission with a little shrine at the top, and it wasn't uncommon for people to make pilgrimages. And you may have seen that there are times that people thinking that the way to approach God or please him or earn his favor is to go on your knees through rough ground and maybe even broken glass or something like that to find favor with God, to enter into the sufferings of Christ a little bit. I think it would be helpful to know what the Bible says. Is that how I approach God? Theology is important because it affects my relationship with God. Do I understand, as uh, we had a little conversation about being loved this morning, that I am accepted in the beloved not because of how many good deeds I can do. Because I'm always going to run out. No matter how many I have, I'm going to run out. So number one, it's necessary for that. Number two, it's necessary because truth and experience are related. While some would deny or at least question this connection, in the long run, the truth will affect our experience. What we really understand to be true will affect what we do. Everybody understand? If you really believe that the roads are coated with ice this morning, you probably would have stayed home. Or maybe you would have, unless you're crazy like me. I love a challenge. My wife will say that all the time. 
But here's the point. A person who falls from the 10th story of a building may shout while passing each window on the way down, I'm still doing fine. And he may mean it, but eventually the facts of the matter will catch up with the person's experience. The truth will hit. Lastly, theology is needful because of the large number of alternatives and challenges abroad at the present time. Think about it. Not even talking about various religions in the world. Secular alternatives abound, including humanism that makes the human being the highest object of value. Which, by the way, is a big mistake from our perspective and why the world gets in trouble and why people can be so nasty. Human being being the highest object of value is inverted. And the scientific method that seeks truth without recourse to revelation from a divine being. I always think it's hysterical. You know, anybody else watch Big Bang Theory? Yes. I'm admitting I'm a bad Christian. Okay. I watch it. Uh, not all of it, but seen dribs and drabs. And there's always this dichotomy, is there not? I'm a scientist, therefore all that's nonsense. Religion, faith, uh, of course, uh, astrology, all of that, they don't take serious, you know, that's, that's okay if you need to believe in that, fine. Do you know that all the original scientists, most of them professing Christians, right? Serious. It wasn't a question whether there was a God and that there was a creation, there were scientific things to uncover principles in the universe. Yes, they wanted to see how God did it, not whether God existed or not. So we've made this false dichotomy, and it's almost like a Twitter soundbite now. We just buy into it culturally. It's not the truth. So enough said. Theology does matter. So I had two goals, to edify our theological people in the room. Dr. Ashley, you're having a review session today. You better pass. Okay, and uh, everybody here? Anybody not here that's here? Okay, I guess just my humor is pretty poor. I guess that's the problem. So you have a fill-in, and I want to make something very clear. I'm going to give the theological terms for 10 areas of Bible teaching. I'm giving the theological. You don't have to memorize those terms. You don't have to be, you know, it doesn't make you more spiritual. Uh, you're not going to be asked to go to another church if you can't recite this list next week. But I do want you to know what it's talking about. That's what I would like us to know. So I have the goal of imparting knowledge. I'm always in encouraged and challenged by an old uh, Puritan pastor, Baxter, who said, um, if your intention is not to teach, what are you doing in the pulpit? Which is a great question to ask occasionally of yourself. If it's not your intention to teach, why are you in the pulpit? So I am intending to teach. The other intention that I have this morning is to prove my wife wrong for once in my life that I will get through every one of these ten bullets before 11.30. We're just clarifying that. And there's no money, there's no money resting on this, is there? Because it'd be mine, but anyway, no, I'm kidding. So, I got a half hour now. So here we go, fasten your seatbelt, ready? Let me find my notes. Hebrews chapter 1, don't you love it? Let me just share a passage of scripture by entering in, re-entry re into the book of Hebrews. Concerning him, we have much to say. This is Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. Concerning Jesus, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, brethren, there's a reason I'm reading this. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Isn't that a great? Senses trained to discern good and evil. I'm going to pause on a couple of these to point out how practical knowing theology can be in the context that we live in today. When we encounter some of the things that we encounter in our culture, 
uh, that wouldn't have been even popularized oh, 20, 30 years back at all. So let's just jump in if we could. And um, anybody been reading um, a book by, what's that guy's name? Francis, uh, Francis. Francis Chan, Letters to the Church, small groups, you doing it? Yes. Isn't it the kind of book you love to hate? Because one of the things he's pushing on is how broken the church in America is and how we're not living up to what God called us to. Did you notice what that passage just said? We should be teaching others. It doesn't mean we're all seminary professors. You don't have to earn a doctorate or anything like that. But the fact is, we're all disciples, and as we're growing, everyone's moving along in the process and can impart knowledge and goodness and wisdom to others. That should be our goal as a disciple. The church today in America has gotten it backwards that we are so much like the culture. We are here. We live to shop, right? Don't we live to shop? Or go to sports events or whatever it might happen to be. It's all about what I can get and what I can be entertained by. And that's what I'm looking for in a church. Imagine if we said, oh, you're coming to church because you, you like what you're hearing. Well, what are the, what's the job that you're going to take on? And if you're not taking on a job, you can't come here. And that's kind of where Chan is pushing things, right? The point that we should become more normal. We shouldn't still be drinking milk but we should be moving along and growing. And I think everyone who is a growing disciple, whoever you are in the room, you're waiting to hear some of what I'm going to talk about today because we like to learn that. We want, to, we want to get it into our DNA. So the very first word in your list is the word. The word. Theology. You know most of our words come from Greek. So the word for... God is, that was hard, wasn't it? So if you have Greek friends whose name is Theo, just think about that for a while. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Theology. Ology. Logos. The word. Jesus was called the word in John chapter 1, right? The word or the doctrine or the teaching. The information, the knowledge about God. Simple, right? You can uh, upgrade anything with logo on the end, with logos, cosmology, your view of the universe, right? Ontology, your view of, that's a philosophical term, of existence. Today, you can have uh, tweetingology, nerdology, zombieology. You could create all kinds of uh, areas of study and maybe even earn a doctorate in one of those areas, so have at it. But just adding logos to the end means it's the doctrine of that. Theology, first and foremost, is about God. There are some things we need to know about God. Take your Bible. If you have it open, I'm going to ask you just to leave your Bible open. Page 1196 is the beginning of Hebrews. And we're just going to go back and forth between a few pages over and over again. First opening line, chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. How does it start? Just like Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. God, after he spoke long ago. In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Do the math. The Son is the creator. Who's the creator? God. We're already getting insight into the Trinity. Why Orthodox confessing Christians for 2,000 years have stood firm on the issue that God is revealed as three in one. It's non-negotiable. So, it goes on. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. He not only created, he's sustaining the decrees of God, creation, providence. That means he's sustaining and guiding everything to appointed ends. Some of you know the verses. All things work together for... Right? That's only true if you're trusting in the God who loves you, right? He's moving things for our benefit ultimately, even though it might look chaotic right now. 
Creation, providence, redemption. He reached down into the world to rescue us. And it says it in the very next part of this verse. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Opening three verses, full of truth. God, theology proper. It includes... Go down with me to number three if you want to fill them in. The first one is theology. That's why there's a T. I'm going to skip the second one for a second. Christology is number three. You can figure this out, right? Christ, the word and doctrine about him. That was profound. You know, you're on the edge of your seat, I can tell. Everybody get more coffee. Hurry up. Not right now. All right? Christology. Lots of that in this book because it's all about the importance of Jesus. So now let me mess with you a little bit. This talks about his incarnation. We just celebrated Christmas. That the God-man actually came into the world. That Jesus is unique because he has two natures. He's God and he's also man. Fully man. Unadulterated. As man was supposed to be before the fall. Okay, that's the difference. So that's the nature of Christ. But um, his incarnation, his divinity, his humanity, and his very name. Have you ever been um, instructed? I I I, I'm good for guilt. Anybody good for guilt? You know, parents are good for guilt, right? We're good. Got a lot of guilt. A lot of things you, you do. Boy, did I do that right? Huh? Anybody else? So I remember as a new believer um, writing something and having somebody get on my case about... Uh, my shorthand, when I write fast and I'm writing notes and I'm writing Christian or Christmas or whatever, I go X mess. And I had somebody, what? You know what that's saying? That's saying X out Jesus. That's Satan. <laughs> and I didn't feel all that guilty, but boy, I tried to work some up. How many of you know this symbol? Yes. Right, everybody know. The Christians who were persecuted, you can look this up on Google even, I wouldn't trust most of that. But anyway, you can look it up. They were hiding from persecution, so this was one of their secret symbols, whether it had letters in it or not. Usually it was just the fish, because the fish, Greek word, is ichthus, and so they used it as an acrostic. And so you have, anybody know how to read this? Yeah, it's ichthus, I just told you. No, I mean, let me, let me make sure I say my Greek letters properly here. Iota, that's I, because J, for us, Jesus, is an I in Greek, Yesu. So that's his first initial. Guess what the next one is? Key, which is Christos. If you were to see the Greek word Christos, that's what it is. X-R-I-S-T-O-S. Not only am I not sinning and following Satan, I'm more spiritual than that person because I'm using the Christos. Just thought I'd mess with you a little bit, right? Christa. Theta, the middle one, theta is a sound, and it's one letter. So theos, huios, son. Last one is sigma, S. Soter, we're going to get there. Soteriology, salvation. So, Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. That's what it's saying. Now, the reason I throw that out is, can you see how a little theology can help you not be mistaken? <laughs> and embarrassing. Frankly, I'm embarrassed sometimes. By the stuff that I hear. Okay. Christology. Father, Son. There's one more. Y'all. Huh? Thank you. The Holy Spirit. Next one. Pneumatology. Number four. P. Pneuma. What does that look like? Somebody will recognize. Anybody work with cars and fill gas? Air right? Pneumatics, right? And that's what it comes from. Wind. Both the Greek and the Hebrew use the word wind for spirit, okay? 
And the Holy Spirit, pneumas, it's a Holy Spirit. You just add hagias, which is the word holy, and you have Holy Spirit. Pneumatology, the doctrine about the Holy Spirit. Whoa, there's a big sucker. What about that speaking in tongue stuff? I saw that guy fell on the floor. I don't know what that was all about. Not going to have that in my church. What if God showed up and you didn't have anything to say about it? Oh, can that possibly be true? Yeah, if we know theology, if we start to learn, we learn to discern the, dis the distinctions between, we have our senses trained to discern good and evil, that which could be a demonic fraud, which I've seen plenty of. I'm going to tell you a story. I can't help it. just can't. Maybe I won't make it. You're going to win the bet. I was on the mission field. I was down in Belize one time, and I was interacting with someone. I'm going to go on record. I'm not a typical Baptist, or right now I'm going, I can just hear they're going to have a petition. Get rid of this guy. Uh, I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are recorded in Scripture. They exist. They just do. Well, no, we know that they ended, and, and the reasons that people... And you're welcome to your opinion. Everyone's entitled to discern Scripture and figure it out. This is not a major of the faith. Okay, everybody with me? You know, my brain's going, so I'm trying to keep my ADD in check here. So I'm down in Belize uh, working with some Baptist missionaries, and a young lady comes to our church who has the manifestation of the gift of tongues, and I, I just figured the scripture says, you know, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Would you like to know for sure that that's from God? Not really. And as we began to pray, this reaction, and I went, okay, ding, ding, ding. Now, by the way, you say, oh, see, yeah, they're up. if there's a real, there's a fraud. If there's a fraud, there's real. We've got to stop putting God in boxes. I think we haven't figured out. And can I add one little comment, too? And we talked about this Friday night, right? The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. I hear us pray many times, Lord, let the Spirit, you know, let it help us. He's not an it. He's, you know, I don't want to. I've been here seven years. I'm, I'm, sometimes people don't know how to spell my name. That's okay. I don't get offended. But it really is nice when they do know how to spell my name. And I think it's the same thing with the Spirit of God, right? He's a person. It feels right to pray that way. Uh, it's not a Stephen King movie. It. You don't get out enough. <laughs> so, the Holy Spirit. Oh, since I'm on the Holy Spirit, look at Hebrews 2, verse 4. God also testifying with them, both by signs, wonders, various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to whose will? Yeah, not a synod, not a church board. The Holy Spirit makes his choice how he's going to work. And I, you know what? Yeah. So, I'll leave it there. How's that? Next verse from on the same subject. Uh, 3, 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Look at this description. Just as the Holy Spirit says. Do you know where that's from? Psalm 95. The, the Holy Spirit is speaking through one of the Old Testament prophets to bring the scripture to us, which takes me back now. I want you to go backwards on your sheet from pneumatology up to number two, which is bibliology. Now, there's a mouthful, right? The doctrine about the Bible. It can be used for any doctrines about books because the word biblios is book. And that's where we get the word Bible because it's a compilation of books. But uh, this is not a bibliography. Y'all, anybody been to school, you know what a bibliography is. Got to fill your notes in and all that. No, this is the doctrine about the Bible. Or let's put it this way. What does the Bible say about itself? The Bible tells us that it is inspired by God. It's the study of the theological doctrine of what the Bible says, Merriam-Webster's definition. Chapter 4, verse 12. 
chapter 4, verse 12. We read this in our study before I came to today to recap and move on in the book of Hebrews. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. It's a great verse, isn't it? The power of the word under the influence of the spirit is amazing. But let me just show you a classic, excellent memorization verse. You should all have this one somewhere along the line. In Timothy. Ready? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Even what your pastor's dragging you through today is profitable. You're not convinced, right? Are you? It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. How many of you have ever trained in a wana? What does it mean? A wana. Proved workmen are not ashamed, right? And that's where it comes from, right here. It's profitable and trains us adequately. Have you ever seen somebody, I, I, I think of this a number of times, uh, first time they handle certain dangerous tool or a gun, for example, and you're watching them hold it with the, you know, the hole is pointed. <laughs> Do you know how to use that thing? That's the question, right? Do you know how to use that thing and not hurt yourself? Same thing. It's inspired by God and it's profitable. It teaches us and we can learn how to use that wonderful tool called the Word of God. It's inerrant. These are words you, we're not taking time with today, meaning what it it's infallible. It's able to communicate what God wants to get through. When people say uh, they approach it literally, sometimes they don't know what they're saying when they say that. We need to understand what God was communicating in the Word. What was he trying to get through? But it is reliable to tell us truth about God and our relationship with him. The Bible is unique in all the history of the world. Okay? So, that's the end of that. Now, any questions? I must have provoked a question or two after all of that, but you know what? I don't have time because I want to win the bet. Pneumatology, right? We're at the next one. Right at the beginning of our story, right at the beginning of Hebrews, verse 4 of chapter 1, having become much better than the angels, he's inherited a more excellent name than they. One of the Christmas carols says, born the king of angels. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. He's above them. He's beyond them. It opens up the area of angelology. How easy can it get, right? Angel means messenger. That's all it means. You can use it for a man as well. But angelology is the doctrine about angels. Guess what's buried in there? There's some other angels we don't talk that much about. Yeah, demonology and Satanology are all wrapped up in that topic. Okay, Hebrews 1.4 I read. Hebrews 1.14 uh, 1.14 says, aren't they all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to us who shall be the heirs of salvation? Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging? Okay, let's close in prayer. <laughs> they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be the heirs of salvation. 2 verse 9. Chapter 2 verse 9. We do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's soteriology. We're getting there. Jesus is a little lower than the angels. What does that mean? That means angels, their power and dignity is actually stronger and higher than mankind. But mankind becomes the crown of God's creation and the target of his salvation. And we ultimately end up judging angels. So if you had an angelic, if you were an angelic being, I couldn't kill you right now. I couldn't do anything to you. You're more powerful than I am. But 
mankind is the one that God has put his affection on to bring him up and help him co-rule eventually. Do you know we're going to reign with him? The Bible says we're going to judge angels. Better practice up on your theology because we're going to judge angels. Can you imagine? Angelology. By the way, how practical is this? Oh, well, what do they have? They have all these TV shows now, right? Ghost hunters or, you know, all this junk. You know, people say to me, and I've had this happen in the past. I've had, you know, I think there's an entity in my house. I think, I think somebody was murdered there and they're still stirring around. No. No, but something's going on. Maybe. Is it a dead person? No. How do you explain the fact that I went to a medium and she told me everything? They told me where my grandmother, who's been dead for 90 years, great-grandmother, she told me where the keys were hidden to the strong box that we've all been trying to get into for... How could they know that? Well, it must be true, right? Must be true. You, are, are everybody with me? How practical it is to understand that's a lie? Well, how did it happen? Think about it for just a second. Angels are persons. They have intellect. They can act, right? Think about the angels that show up in the scripture. They speak to us. Fallen angels are where the demons came from. They're persons. They have intellect. They can speak to us. And they have one other added advantage. They've been around for a billion years or however long since creation. I don't know. I didn't follow up the whole Big Bang thing. They've been around. They know all about it. What's the big deal for them to rat on your family's history? What's the big deal? And we get snookered in and deceived down the wrong path. Next thing you know, we're, we're trafficking with evil spirits and we think we're dealing with gifts from God. I've never met a medium yet that didn't tell me their gift was from God. Reminds me of a missionary story. The guy said he went to see his, his dad in, on the mission field. He said, come on, I have to make a call over to this medium down the street in South America, a lot of it. And so they went down to visit, and the, the, the person who let him in said, uh, oh, go ahead and sit right here, and the medium will be out in a minute. And they went away, and they're sitting, and they're waiting, and waiting, and nothing happens. Finally, the, the uh, curtains open, and the medium comes to the door and looks at them and goes, They wait another minute. He steps up a little bit closer and goes. <laughs> Finally, he gets right up in front of him, like, like Jason, right here. <laughs> the missionary jumped up and punched him in the mouth and knocked him out and said, my father always told me to strike a happy medium. <laughs> you fell right into that one, guys. All right, so let me just say this. There's plenty of falsehood. Okay, there's a lot of shenanigans. Probably 80 to 90% of what you hear about is bogus nonsense. But when something's real, don't automatically assume it's from God. We have our senses trained to discern good and evil. Next word everybody knows, anthropology, right? You've taken courses in anthropology comes from the Greek word anthropos, the word for mankind. And so enough said. What is man? Doesn't it matter? This whole thing of um, Jesus taking on flesh. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took on the same. Man is a created being made of flesh and blood, body and spirit. There's an unseen part and a seen part. This is what man is. He made the male and female, the crown of creation. The confusion we're living in today is directly opposed to saying God is the one to whom we give an account, who made us. When we try to resist it, all we do is bring more confusion and chaos into our life because we're fighting against reality, which is why my friends... Uh, uh, Gary and Melissa have such a valuable ministry and why I get very passionate about it because why, you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get better in my life and I'm doing exactly what's harming me. 
I'm an addict and I keep using as if that's going to help me. It's not going to. It's another picture of what some of the things we were singing about today that ultimately were thirsty. I love, by the way, this will preach. Um, last week, Corey did a great job. I'm going to quote you coming up about how to seek the mind of God. That's how important you are. And second, you said something that will... I'm I'm driving home saying to my wife, that'll preach. Everybody remember what she said? If you don't, I'm not telling you. No, No, it was Jesus offers us living waters and most of us are content to stay dehydrated. I went, that'll preach. Not today, though. I gotta stay on task. I gotta win this bet. I only got a few minutes. <laughs> Anthropology. Man is going to be hungry. He's broken and needs the relationship with his maker. It's no different than a Tesla you have to plug in. Gotta have it. Anthropology. It's a doctrine of man, that's all. Just know, you don't have to memorize all these words. Just know that the Bible teaches us something about itself, about God, about the Trinity, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about mankind. And here comes a nasty one, sin. Harmartiology, the Greek word for sin is harmartia. That's where it comes from. It's no big secret. But it's the doctrine about sin. Can you imagine God actually has an opinion about what we do? There are things that are right and things that are wrong. You wouldn't know it today, would you? 2.18 says, uh, let's see what it says. He himself was tempted in that which he has suffered. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Go back to chapter 1. Verse 3, the second half, he made purification for our sins because we get tempted and we sin. The worst sins are not uh, not recycling (laughs) or talking on your cell phone while you're driving, although you shouldn't, but... Yes, ma'am? Is the root of that harmonious? No, 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 I don't think so. No. Sorry. I don't have the answer, but I can look that up. One of the problems is going from Greek to English may be a completely different route. Many times English is borrowing from other, other backgrounds. So it's the sin doctrine, the fact that we are broken, that we inherit it, and we act out on what the disease that's been inside us. Right? Everybody get that? We're here today because of the next one, soteriology. Soter, I already told you that, right? Savior. That Jesus made purification for our sins. How practical can it be? I love it when people come and ask me, and, and, and they do. You know, How do I know that I'm forgiven? The fact that you have consciousness that you need to be forgiven is grace already. Because most people don't think they've done anything wrong. Except maybe tweeted something bad, you know? And it's like we're living in scandalous sin today, and it's all been normalized. Soteriology rescues me. God makes an atonement. Those of you who've had a tiff with your spouse, depending on how, you know, what her love language is, if she likes flowers, mine doesn't. Mine likes living plants. So guess where I have to go? If I'm going to make atonement, if I'm going to bring some reconciliation, God has made atonement between himself and us by the blood of his son. We're reconciled to him, and we can know it, that we're walking in justification and growing in sanctification. All of that is our portion. Here's one everybody loves and wishes would hurry up. Eschatology. You might even know that name, right? It's about the last thing. We always think of the second coming, the tribulation. Oh, boy, that's it, right? You know what's involved in eschatology? Everything that's last. The word eschatos means the last, the ultimate, the end. Death, the second coming, yes. Heaven, hell, resurrection. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, if you've got it open. If Joshua had given them rest, he would have not spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What is he talking about? Heaven. It's a picture. That heaven and hell is part of eschatology. What happens to me after I die? I had somebody ask me, do we sleep? Soul sleep. 
No, if I know theology, I know the scripture says absent from the body means I'm present with the Lord. And here's a nasty one. How many prayers should we offer up for my dead father? It's too late. Now is the day of salvation. Now while you're alive and awake is the time to make your choice to know the living God. Inasmuch as it's appointed to men die, once after this comes judgment. God has not left us in the dark. We just don't want to read it. And the last one, very sadly neglected and destroyed in the American church, if I can call it that. Ecclesiology. The doctrine of the church. You know, God has an opinion about the church. Where is that in the book of Hebrews? Well, it is there in a number of places. Chapter 3, verse 1 is basically our holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. And then those exhortations in chapter 3 or 4, wherever it is, says, uh, let us fear, make sure we encourage one another. All of that is talking about the body that Jesus died to rescue, that we might encourage and spur one another on in our holy calling, holding on to our confession. I think I've said enough. I want to put the Apostles' Creed back on the board, back up on the thing. See how many theologies we can find in here. Think there's theology in it? Oh, yeah. Let's go. Page one. I believe in God. Theology. Theology proper. Father of Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and who? Christology. Right? His only Son, our Lord. Next. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, incarnation, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried, descended to hell, rose again the third day, right? What is that? Soteriology. He just saved you. He was conceived by... Oh, I already read that. No, 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 we're done. He ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of, the, of God, the Father Almighty. Thence shall come to judge the quick and the dead. What's that? Yes. 20 points. Eschatology. Next one. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Pneumatology. The, the Holy Catholic Church. Thank you. The communion of saints. Ecclesiology. Forgiveness of sins. Resurrection of the body. Life everlasting. Amen. Does that mean you're done? It's 11.30 and I got through all 10. Let's stand together. And let me encourage you as good students. I love to do this. You have my email. Send the questions that this provoke, if any. I'd be happy to unpack them in the weeks ahead. It'd be fun to do that, okay? So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus that what we're talking about is just not impractical information, but can train our senses to discern good and evil. And we pray, God, in Jesus' name, that it would get into our usable toolkit, that you would help us. And thank you that you loved us to make these truths matter to us because we're your children and we matter to you. In the name of Jesus, we bless you today and all of God's people said. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day.